Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is in the building. Penny, what up, Ben? <laughs> How are we doing? Have, have you survived the... I know your calendar is a little different than here, but Sunday was like the ultimate Sunday scaries day after the holiday and after the new year. So Monday was a, a big back-to-work day for a lot of people. I don't know if that transcends oceans and, and continents but uh I, i'm back in the swing of things I, I hope you are too i don't think you ever got out of the swing of things but maybe yeah. more so than usual so laura and i went down to the beach on new year's eve and like then got back and we were in bed by twelve oh six. like i literally woke up to a text message um from good friend of the program danny larue uh at twelve fourteen, and oh, like had beautiful. no idea um <laughs> it's a new year yeah, so like, Is it? W- w- what can you do? Yeah. Uh, and then I worked the following Sunday. I took New Year's Day off. I watched three movies and then mm. worked the following Sunday. Um, so yeah, no, the Monday, like the the Monday disaster that everyone else had. I, I don't know. It, w- it wasn't for me. It, it was strange here because somehow there was still a holiday that I didn't know about. It was observed for a lot of people, so there wasn't a lot of traffic. So it wasn't mm. the it wasn't the full experience, which was nice. Yeah, there there was also a Monday holiday observed here too, and we went over to Laura's cousin's house to hang out for a while, and then we were just like, you know, uh, yeah, I guess I guess we have to go back to work. And then they were like, no, tomorrow's a public holiday. And we're like, oh, okay. I keep it yeah, going. Another round. Yeah, great. Um, so today on the show, we are going to talk about rookies in the NBA this year. We're going to talk about Evan Mobley. We're going to talk about uh, Scotty Barnes, Matt's best friend, Franz Wagner. We're going to talk about mm. all of these great players that have really stood out. Uh, I think they're realistically like seven or eight guys that I've been pretty impressed with over the course of the uh, entirety of the rookie season so far, which is a pretty big number for a rookie class, to be honest. Then we are going to go into the mailbag section. Then we're going to do prospects of the week as always. So it'll be a nice, fun, packed show. Penny, I finally got artwork behind me. I know. Because- what, what, what is that? I, I didn't want to call you out on it, but it, it is different. It, it kind of ties the podcast and the room together. So behind my right shoulder, mm-hmm. I've got a uh, – it's like a bunch of Wes Anderson art from okay. his movies. So I think the top one is Royal Tenenbaums, then Life Aquatic, then Moonrise Kingdom, then uh, Grand Budapest I think is at the bottom. And then the one over my left shoulder is The Third Man, which is like the greatest movie of all time. It's <laughs> Carol Reed. It's from 1949. It has Orson Welles. It's like the great reveal, like one of the all-time great reveals in movie history. <laughs> tell me you're Sam Vecini without telling me you're Sam Vecini. Well, well, oh, totally. Behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's beautiful. That's I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out like and by the way these are not hung up. I literally have like bar stools like just sitting on they're sitting on top of bar stools because I was like okay I need something in the background so I no longer look like a serial killer. Either so, that like, or a little less terrorist <laughs> interrogation demands negotiating right, yeah. as I'm in um, my office slash as you like to say bathroom tile on the wall. Uh, it's yeah, a, it's, it's funny. a good balance. It's a good blend. 
we were dealing with like an echo problem earlier and i was like yeah it's because you're recording in a fucking bathroom penny like yeah, what do you expect basically. basically um but yeah no i'm trying to figure out like what what other posters do i go with here like is there a way for me to find some other other movie things that really will work and tie the room together and maybe i'll be able to switch it up i don't know we'll see we'll, we'll see what the what the move is whenever I really truly explore the space of the studio here. Feel yourself out. You got some stuff leaning up there, so you're not tied to anything either. You can switch that out after right. the show if you wanted to. Keep it moving. Oh my god, I'm a fucking dumbass. Okay. Uh let's go to rookies. Yeah. I guess that I will just ask this question from the top. Who do you think has been the most impressive rookie? During the 2021-22 NBA season. Oof. Um, for me personally, I'm going Scotty Barnes has been the most impressive. They're just because he's done so much more than I anticipated. And okay. as a as a larger snapshot of the whole thing, I was thinking about this earlier. The draft before, but prior to the season of the last cycle, we thought there were five or six guys, right, that were right yeah. there at the top that could be in contention for the top picks. Some of the names changed. Like, we thought maybe Zaire Williams had a chance to be there. Maybe B.J. Boston. Maybe Jalen Johnson. But Scotty Barnes, for me anyway, Scotty Barnes and Franz Wagner kind of slid in there. And still, it's a, at least a five-deep draft uh, with a lot of depth for contributing players, too. But for Scotty Barnes, what he's done – especially offensively from a, a self-creation standpoint, that has been the, the biggest standout for me to start. So in terms of guys that have tangibly altered what I thought their ceiling was coming into the draft, I would say Scotty Barnes stands out along with Franz Wagner is the two mm -hmm. guys that like have, have changed my opinion of them the most. Honestly, I think Franz is probably the guy that has changed my opinion of him more than anyone in this class. And we'll talk about him momentarily, but I mean, if we're talking about just like pure, this is the best rookie in the class. Like it, it's Evan Mobley. Like I don't even think mm -hmm. it's close, right? Like you would say like what your definition there was, was different than sure. You know, like, you know, who has been the most impactful and effective. I would imagine that you would say Evan Mobley has been the most impactful, effective rookie thus far during the NBA season, right? Without taking anything away from the other guys we'll talk about, yeah, that, that's a yeah. fair assessment. Yeah, and I think that the thing that I keep coming back to personally on this is, like, this Cavs team was a fucking disaster for all of the years that LeBron was gone. And they made some smart decisions, like taking Darius Garland, uh, acquiring Jared Allen very clearly has worked out and has been proven to be the correct call from them. Going out and getting Lowry Markkinen has really helped them as well because they desperately needed shooting. But the guy who ties it all together is Evan Mobley. And the guy that I think has been their best player this year when accounting for both the offensive and defensive end is Evan Mobley. Mm -hmm. Like I'm we're talking about a rookie here who's 20 years old who is the best player on a team that is fighting for a top 4 seed in the Eastern Conference and this is an Eastern Conference that is much better than it's been in previous years. I've I've been completely blown away. Like I I think Evan Mobley is the best defensive rookie I've seen enter the NBA since I've been covering the NBA. Um, look, like, 
I, I don't remember the specifics of like Anthony Davis as a rookie in New Orleans, like trying to figure it out. But I remember vaguely, and like my immediate instinct is that Evan Mobley has been a better defensive rookie this year than what Anthony Davis was as a rookie in New Orleans. Just not necessarily like, you know, I, I remember a little bit about Anthony Davis's rookie year. I was, you know, what, 22, 23 years old that season. I think it was 23. And this isn't to say that he, Evan Mobley, is going to become Anthony Davis and become like literally in the playoffs for me, probably the most impactful defensive player in the league other than maybe Draymond Green. I say that to say that it is incredible what Evan Mobley has been able to accomplish this year as a defensive player holding together a defense that finished 30th, 30th, and 25th over the course of the last three years and is now very clearly a top 10 defense in the NBA and has been flirting with the top five throughout the course of the season. And part of that is Jared Allen as well. I don't want to take anything away from him. But these three seven-footer lineups, the guy that makes them work, the guy that makes them make sense is Evan Mobley. So I don't even really think there's a case for anyone else for Rookie of the Year. Uh, Evan, Evan Mobley has completely worked in conjunction with improvement of others, but he is complete. His presence has worked to turn around a Cleveland Cavaliers organization to go from one of the five worst teams in the NBA to one of the ten best teams in the NBA so far. That's not to say the Rookie of the Year race is over. We have half the year left, but if we're doing a midseason Rookie of the Year vote right now, I do not think you can give it to anyone else other than Evan Mobley. And frankly, in terms of long-term upside, I think that Evan Mobley is coming close to exceeding what I think Cade Cunningham's long-term upside is will be. But we will talk about Cade later and why I'm still very bullish on him. What an opening statement. Man, how do I follow that? For, for first things first, hand up. I was wrong. I, I was wrong on. I was very critical yeah. of Laurie Markkinen, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. I'm like, I don't oh, know too. how this works. Everything goes small. He won five, not three of them. And then it was Laurie Markkinen's going to play the three. We can't really shoot. Oh, they'll make it work. They'll switch. They pay Jared Allen this monster contract. The Cavs have this pick, and we said, well, you can just draft that guy. Why do you got to pay a hundred something million for Jared Allen? It's all work. So, the Kobe Altman, my, my apologies. Kobe Altman also went to UMass for grad school. So, I think that ties into some of it, just Minutemen <laughs> figuring it out. Honorary Evan game Mo- theory uh, <laughs> alumni, Evan Mo- or uh, Kobe Altman. For Evan Mobley specifically, it's sort of like this sleeping monster has become an awakened monster. There were some red flags going into the season, going to the draft about intensity. I, I don't know that I would say red. I would say like yellow. Whatever. It was a color. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't white. Well, like, it wasn't red. Red, but red flags is like Kevin Porter getting in his car and leaving <laughs> in the middle of I a think game. That's, right. That's a maroon flag or like the, a color <laughs> that hasn't been. Uh, qualified yet on the Roy G. Biv scale. But there are questions. Let's put it that way yeah. instead of flags. Questions, right? About how locked in he can be all the time. He had a game he didn't score, a field goal. Things that a potential number one pick would scare you a little bit. And and now you turn it on and he's like all over the place. He's, he's yeah. twitchy. He's shifty. Uh, the positional versatility is even better than I thought on defense. Like when he switches on to a guard, 
late in the game. Normally, I panic and be like, "Well, I hope somebody switches back." I'm good. Like, like he's good. Oh, he can totally. hold that guy off, force him into bad shots, rebound. It's so funny. And, like you, you watch some of the games early in the season. Like Damian Lillard was like, "Oh yeah, I got this rookie like out on an island. Like this rookie big, I'm good." And then he's like literally alone with him on the left side of the court, and Evan Mobley just. Plays him down to the baseline and completely swats his shit. <laughs> like in an yeah, early at, like at, possession, at, I was like, "Oh, two okay, this blocks is a, joke. a game about to steal a game." He flies all over the court. He covers so much ground too that if he does rarely get beat, he recovers really quickly. And he has like the sneaky offense too, where like you're surprised. He had a dunk the other night with his left hand, and I didn't know how he's going to finish. He jumped up and and he dunked it like on a guy. I don't know if it was Miles Turner or Sabonis or who it was, but I, yeah. I said like, oh god, like I, I didn't think that he was going to go like for that move in that spot. So there's still stuff to unpack with him as a prospect, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, but he's been really good. I mean, I, I get it, front runner for rookie of the year. Um, he, he's at very least going to be in the first team. I don't. I don't think he has to worry about that at all. For yeah. for for his offense, I, I do want to uh, talk a little bit about that. There, he w- he was really good the other night. He had twenty four points. He was hitting jumpers. Uh, I don't know if he had any threes, but he finished the stuff by the basket. He's always going to be a lob threat. He, he's always going to be able to shoot from mid range. He's adjusted fairly well to playing against bigger players. He does kind of get pushed yeah. off his his path some. Not to to be super critical or, or super nitpick, but the shot from three to even extend the floor more. Are you held up there that it needs to get a little bit tighter, a little bit better? Because there are times, there are stretches where the contact and the wiring energy just doesn't always translate all the time. That you wish he had that floor spacing in his bag to just do a little bit more out there to space it out. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, he needs to go and improve his jumper over the next couple of years. But, like, he's coming from a high enough level at this point to where I, I don't really have doubts that he's going to figure it out now. Like, he, right. he's he's so drastically improving basically every single time we see him. He's so drastically gaining in confidence every time we see him that, like, I, I'm just kind of not worried anymore about the jumper figuring itself out. Like... With these guys, like, I always try to find, okay, building blocks. Like, this guy can get on an NBA court, he can be successful doing this, and he can build his game off of that and then go into the summer and improve, uh, you know, not necessarily to make the jumper the critical part of his game, but to round out that part of his game and make him an effective player. With Kawhi Leonard, he was able to step into the NBA immediately because of his defense. And then he built off of that by getting his jumper in a good place before he played a game in the NBA. And then was able to work toward uh, you know continuing to improve the jumper, improve the jumper, improve the jumper. Going from like a 3 and D guy up to a pull-up guy. That was like an yep. immediate threat, right? So... You know, you can look back through history. There are guys like this. And I always try and just, like, figure out, okay, let's get the guy on the court. Let's make sure he can play minutes. Let's make sure he can be effective against NBA talent. And then he can build off of that, right? Evan Mobley is coming from such a fucking high level at this point that, Mm -hmm. like, he really only needs the jumper. Like, he does need to improve his reads. He could improve, like, his passing ability even further. Um, certainly needs to continue to add strength and yeah. get to the point where he's instead of 220 pounds, 235 pounds, maybe 
that'll come naturally, right? But the jumper is kind of the last like skill-based deficiency, I would say, in his game. And you're 100% right. He needs to improve it, but like I'm not I'm not that worried about it, I guess. Like I think it's going to come. So, with him and and you we'll get to Cade. We'll get there. You're saying he's close or at least passing him or they're he's on the same I, yeah, same course. It's a race ish a little bit. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We have a lot of games to play. What was at least for me personally, I had Evan Mobley fourth. I, I had him behind Jalen Suggs. I had him behind Jalen Green. What did mm-hmm. what did I miss as an evaluator? What did we miss collectively where this guy was not only a, a surefire number two, but potentially knocking the door of number one because uh, again yeah. I, I never hesitated last year Cade Cunningham was number one grand opening grand closing Cade Cunningham was number one I, I didn't even think of of Evan Mobley being there I more so I thought he might be like fifth like I, I didn't see second and, and now mm. it looks ridiculous but how how was the the misses there that that we can look now looking at other bigs in Chet Holmgren in Jabari Smith in Paul Bancaro and then yeah. just kind of improve our own process yeah, it's interesting. That's a really good question. So I had Evan Mobley third. I had him beneath Jalen Suggs and Cade Cunningham. As someone who would still, I would still take Cade Cunningham at number one in this draft so if he was available. So I, I don't know that we need to like really explore that. In the case, but he was two. The, I'm sorry. Like Mobley was two though. Is my point. Like we both like yeah, really yeah, like no, Suggs, yeah. but like he's he's been. Much better than Suggs right now. Right. In the case of Suggs, I think what we missed was how raw he was in terms of like making ball screen reads and how big that adjustment it would be in terms of his ball handling ability. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that you and I thought that his athleticism would just kind of carry him a little yeah. bit early in his career, and it hasn't. Like, it's just not there with Suggs yet. And we'll talk about Jalen a little bit later. But I think that that's the big thing. Like we, I think that you and I thought that Jalen Suggs' ball handling and his ability to make ball screen reads, his ability to keep guys on his hip, to be patient, to kind of just work his way through his progressions, to steal a term like that people typically use for quarterbacks. I think that that is where <laughs> yes. we were wrong about him. Having said that, like, look, I, I was asked before the draft, like, if you had to bet on over under one and a half all NBA teams for Evan Mobley, would you bet over or under? I think that you and I might have done that, and I said over yeah. still. So I, I think it had nothing to do with Evan Mobley being misevaluated. I mean, maybe on your end, and we both misevaluated <laughs> Jalen Suggs. Yeah, no, but, I was wrong. Like we both, I, I get it. I'll own it. Yeah, but like we we both liked Evan Mobley. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just that like I think that we also thought that. While he's an incredibly coordinated, balanced athlete, his contact balance and ability to not necessarily initiate contact, but to play through it early on in his NBA career wouldn't be this strong. Yeah, like, it's, I, it's, I think that that's the big skill. It's kind of cool, too, because for, for me at least... Like, the best game I've seen Evan Mobley play was, like, the last game in the NBA. Like, so rarely we have that. Like, I, I was texting with a, a friend earlier about 
people making these Jabari Smith comparisons to Kevin Durant. So I watched every make that Kevin Durant had in college because, like, to dispel that notion, right? But, like, you can remember some of those games say, like, that was absolutely incredible. And the, the person mentioned Mike Beasley. They said Mike Beasley in high school was crazy. And you could point a game at Kansas yeah. State and said he had 25 and 25. So it was the best game I've ever seen him play. I think maybe the best game I ever saw Evan Moley play was last game against Indiana. So that shows you yeah. how much better he's getting. And I saw him plenty on the circuit in high school with Compton Magic. Um, so it's it's crazy. But, um, yeah, the strength at the top of the draft has delivered so far. Yeah, totally. So l- let's go to where, – where do you want to go next? Do you want to go Scotty Barnes, Franz Wagner, Cade Cunningham? I think that we should stick with those four. Yeah, let, let, why don't we just go to Scotty just because we mentioned him a little bit to, to start here. Okay, so what, I'll just give you the floor on Scotty. Where are you at with him? Uh, also, guy. He, I mean, he's been great. He's exceeded what my expectations were. I had him, I think seventh, because I think fifth I had Kaminga, sixth I had Franz, seventh I had him. Seems mm-hmm. low. Toronto is a team where I, I didn't know how the personnel was going to work with him because when Pascal Siakam was out and, and Precious Achua kind of slid in, I thought Barnes was taking advantage in a good sense of these added offensive touches. And then when Pascal came back, I didn't know if the offense would be the same way. And it's been better. I mean, he's shooting 36% from three. Never thought that would happen. And the jumper looks clean. It looks consistent. There is a game last week where he had the ball like the elbow with his left hand. He made one dribble, kind of stutter step, stepped back, squared up and shot. And I audibly said to myself as I watch games a lot, I said, who the hell is this? Because like he had never taken – shots like that he I, I just hadn't seen him hit it and look so fluid that way he didn't take more than three threes in a game the first month of the season and you can tell he's he's believing in it because since then he started firing at an average of four a game and, and shooting 40 percent in that stretch pair that with the rebounding the initiating the offense the energy throughout the game uh, it's just a home run pick by Toronto. They stuck to their mantra and they stuck to their mission statement of these big, lengthy wings, and it's paid off. They didn't really listen to the noise about him not being a shooter or be able to play in yep. longer stretches. And uh, yeah, another guy who has been better than I thought he would be, and looks like a, an awesome fit in Toronto. So I pulled up my numbers that I have on Scotty uh, shooting before he got to Toronto. He. I have 35 games of high school and AAU sample from Scotty Barnes. He made 13 of 58 from three. Mm-hmm. In Florida State, in 24 games, he made 11 of 40 from three, six of 19 from mid-range. So, like, what, 30% from mid-range, 27% from three. Um, 13 of 58 in the high school and AAU sample is, what, that's going to be, like, under 25%? Uh, um, that's right. I'm pull it up here. So, you you just kind of look at that, and I mean, like you even go back and look at his twenty two, yeah, yeah, his preseason and summer league numbers. Like he was at like thirty three percent as a shooter. So the fact that he, I mean, like over his last, I think eleven games, because I wrote about rookie rankings today, uh, he's taking four threes and has made them at like a forty percent clip yeah. per game. Like mm-hmm. it, it's. Absolutely, the shooting improvement from Scotty Barnes that we've seen has been drastic. You and I loved him as a guy that will make energy plays happen and will be a high-level role player on great winning teams, I think is where we fell, right? Like, Yeah, like 
plug him into Golden State. He's the fourth guy. Awesome. Like, right. that'd be the role. Like, we thought, like, top 60 guy in the NBA, top 50 guy in the NBA at some point. Like, Andre Iguodala e and his ability to play point guard and defend mm-hmm. multiple positions and be, like, a super switchable guy. Like, we, we, we were fans of Scotty Barnes throughout the course of the year. And I did not see this is where we like completely misevaluated. It's just like the jumper, <laughs> right? Like, did, did we misevaluate or Toronto appropriately evaluates the question? Well, I don't even think we misevaluated given the numbers, but like, clearly we didn't, maybe we didn't trust the kid enough to improve because like every single human being that you talk to about Scotty Barnes will just say, this is oh, right. an elite, elite, mm-hmm. elite character person unbelievable worker incredible human being like across the board people love scotty barnes so maybe that's what we underrated we underrated his capacity to improve as a player and you know i think that this is uh this is what we see like shooting is shooting is something that can be improved in the nba i can't remember a player that has gone from the level that scotty was at as a shooter to where he is pretty confidently right now since Kawhi. Like, that—that that is genuinely what we're talking about here in terms of improvement. So, um, Lordy, if, if, he, if he's Kawhi, that's a, uh, that's beyond a home run pick. Well, that's a grand I don't slam even, pick. That, I don't think he's Kawhi necessarily in terms of his talent. I just mean in terms of, like, the jump from final year in college to first year in the NBA as a shooter. Yep. I think that, like, the last time I've seen something like this is, like, 10 years ago with Kawhi. Yeah, I was talking to a fellow draft analyst last night via text, and the line he said about Scotty Barnes was, he has a generational personality. He asked who else is in the, like that in this upcoming draft. I said, I have no idea, but there's nobody like that kid. And beyond the numbers, too, and we don't try to be total eye test people, the misses for Scotty Barnes, like, it wasn't close. Like, there oh, was some horrible. stuff. So, like, yeah. the first half last night – of Wisconsin-Purdue, somebody who wasn't watching the game tweeted at me, texted me, said, why does Jaden Ivey have two points or one point? I said, well, he had a couple shots rim out. And he did. Like, they were good looks. They just went in and out. Scotty's right. would be like air ball, short, way right. He doesn't follow through. He chases it. It, it. it just all seems so much more comfortable with him now. It was so robotic. His jumper was so robotic, mechanical, like not fluid. And look like... Even with Toronto, like, I don't think it's the most fluid-looking thing in the world. Like, it's not like he's, like, getting in and out of, like, complex ball-handling moves and, you know, pulling up from, you know, 30 feet or even from 12 feet, right? Yep. But the thing is that he's six foot nine with a seven foot like two wingspan. <laughs> that helps. And he doesn't need that, right? Like, he doesn't need the crazy, complex, like, shiftiness stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Scotty Barnes, I would take Scotty Barnes at three in this draft pretty comfortably right now. Yeah, agreed. And I had him, I think, at six pre-draft. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Toronto nailed it. Toronto did a phenomenal job. Um, that, that's the that's the biggest thing. And plus, like, he's, he's a good defender. I think that, like, he has struggled a little bit more in space this year than what I thought he would. Um, he looks a. I don't want to say slower. It, it just looks like his. Looks like he's still like learning what it takes to defend like great players night in night out. Whenever he's forced to defend uh, on an island against good guards, when he gets matched up with them, right? Like 
it, it's fine. I think he'll figure it out. I think he's going to be a great defender. Um, maybe not quite like the all-defense guy that we thought based off of his first year, but definitely like a super plus defender based off of everything I've seen so far. Yeah, totally. So with so far, we started with guys we've missed on. Can we get to one that we've actually hit on? Because I, I think some of them we did an, an okay job saying, like, that was the guy, here's the spot. And, and well, here, here. so let, let's do this. So I think that I was fine on Mobley. I think that you missed on Mobley. I think you did a great job on Franz Wagner, and I was wrong on Franz Wagner. So let's let's do that, and let's close this loop, right? Perfect. Um, great. Everybody yeah, so, wins. We, we, we had some hits, some misses, and, and now here's an, an actual hit that I, I may have gotten right with Franz. Yeah, let, let's, let's let you uh, talk about Franz, because Franz is your <laughs> sweet baby boy. He, he is. He is. He, he's probably the guy I'm happiest with on how high I had him, like you said. I, I had him sixth. It was... Yeah, do I wish I had Kaminga down a few spots and, and him up one and or two mm-hmm. and Scotty Barnes? You're not always going to get it right. But there yeah. were, for Franz, some scoring concerns out of Michigan. It was, he's a great passer. He's an ultimate connector. He's a defensive beast at six foot ten. Then he has this bad last game of the tournament where he's 1-for-10 against UCLA, had a bad air ball when it mattered. And I thought people might sour on him a little bit because we do. We, we look at small samples. We remember the last thing we saw. There's recency bias. The kid knows how to play. I mean, I'm glad Orlando saw through it. He's shooting similar percentage-wise to what he was at Michigan. He, he doesn't shy away from the moments. Like, I, I like that he, not to shot an air ball, but he had the willingness to take that shot and try to win the game. And now his confidence has grown. I mean, he's taken 20 or more shots four times already this year while continuing to be unselfish. He played some point guard against the Celtics the other night, brought the ball up. Uh, I still like the way he moves. He cuts away from the ball. He allows those Orlando guards, when healthy, more freedom to kind of put pressure on on their defenders. Then the way he's handling out a pick and roll, and although he doesn't have the quickest first step, if he gets you on his hip, he's getting to the rim and finishing high. That's still a, a very tough shot to block. And then if you go into drop coverage, he's shooting the ball well. Like he, He's shooting and, and hitting threes, and it's like if this guy has a summer to put this all together, he could like – actually be a monster and he's taking his lumps they're throwing him right into it i mean that celtics game jalen brown had a 50 ball in in his face and at the end of the game though he had two free throws he missed he turned it over but the next play he he goes down dribbles finishes his left celtics came back at one but as a kid who you're watching develop in front of your eyes and he's much more of this rotational foreman that we kind of slotted him to be and more yeah. of this, yes, you can plop him into any offense anywhere. He's going to be great. But he could be a foundational piece of somewhere, too, and, and likely in Orlando. Yeah. His on-ball creation ability is much better than what I thought. Um, I didn't see him as, like, a secondary ball handler. I saw him as, like, a connector more than that. Right. Um, you know, a guy that might be able to run the occasional secondary ball screen, but isn't going to, like, score out of them. Like, he's not going to, like, bring the ball up the court and – just like wreck Chris Middleton in like a pick and roll partnership with Wendell Carter, right? Yeah. Um, I, I did not, I didn't see that, especially as a 20 year old. Like, that's impossible to me. Um, his handle and poise and patience, and just like, he just like fucking processes the game and understands what he's doing out there at such a ridiculous level. Like, it is unbelievable why. And just, like, how he seems to completely be poised and patient 
all, all the time. Like he's twenty, yeah. and it's impossible to slow him or uh, speed him up. Like he's yeah. constantly just operating at his own pace. Like he's good. The two reasons that I, I had him, I think, like twelve or thirteen, something like that. So I was a little bit lower, but like the reasons I had him there were actually one thing that you brought up. I part of like the skill package with Franz was defense, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I thought he should have been an All-Big Ten defender last year. I thought it was crazy that the coaches left him off that list. I also was a bit worried about the way that it would look in the NBA because of his like longer limbs. And I thought that it was kind of like a Robert Covington thing where whenever he guarded on the ball against higher-level quicker guards, that they could kind of leverage him a little bit and kind of make him drive backward or they could just like kind of get past him in a way that was problematic. We we have seen that in the NBA so far. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Jalen Brown caught him for a 50 ball last game and it it was not great. And like, he didn't just catch Franz Wagner, but he caught him for a lot of them. But right. And and then you made him, I I will say this, like it was a, it was a very loud 50 because it was a comeback. They went on a 12 to two run, not taking anything away from that. But Franz made him work. They weren't wide open. He wasn't had like bad yeah. closeouts getting blown by. He was challenging shots. Yeah. Jalen Brown was a, a beast. And, and when the Celtics did in that game, so it yeah. was weird rooting for the Celtics in this huge comeback against the Magic. But that's kind of the, the, the year that we've <laughs> all had. The, but, yeah, but that's still, the Celtics like, the, season. The still unflappable <laughs> nature of Franz Wagner in that yeah. game, in that moment. And then when he, the, the game or the week before, we had 38 points. I never felt like he was chasing points. It was still within the flow of, of everything that was going on. And that was an upside type of situation when you looked at the makeup of the Orlando roster. And yeah. he's he's exceeded that. He, he's not – the connector thing is a, a very high compliment, but he's even more so than that too. Well, it's – the connector thing is what makes him scalable to winning situations. Like it would be easy in a lot of situations to write off a guy averaging 20 points a game for the worst team in the NBA, second worst team in the NBA behind Detroit. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it would be very easy to do that. I think, but you watch him play. Everything comes within the flow of the offense. Everything is just like so meticulous and it's, it fits like it's not like he's doing too much he's not like pounding the ball into the ground and only going for himself like everything he does is scalable to a winning spot like you put him in golden state right now he is a key part of their rotation i think like i genuinely believe that um i I know that they're bringing along jonathan kaminga and moses moody slowly but if it was wagner there like wagner be in from the jump in my opinion, like he'd be rolling and he'd be a critical piece for them. Um, I will be interested to see what level he gets to defensively. I think he's probably going to be like a above average defender, not a like high end defender or like a, you know, elite defender who makes all defense teams. Like, I, I don't see that. I see him as like a, okay, he's really good rotationally. He makes guys work for it. He's switchable two through four let's say and yeah. can at least like deal with fives on the block to an extent once he gets stronger um great scalable player to a winning situation i just don't um i, I would say that he's gone from a guy that i thought would be like an average nba starter to a guy that i now believe will be like a top 40 player in the nba pretty comfortably yeah totally 
And it's a young young nucleus too. They have they have pieces yep. to grow on. They're they're not great, so probably get another draft pick. I'm very curious to see what direction they go there. If they get the 900th guard and, and wing, or if they go big. Uh, but yeah, he's he's been um, kind of everything I thought of at even a, a much higher level too. Yeah, no, you you nailed it with Wagner. Uh, okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're gonna go to the top. Uh, the top guards in this class that have struggled, uh, at least in the case of two of them so far. Okay, we're back. Let's talk about Kate Cunningham. Yeah. After that, like, rough start to his career, coming back from the ankle injury... Cade Cunningham has averaged 17 points, six rebounds, six assists. He shot like 42% from the field, 40% from three, 80% from the line. Uh, He plays high-level defense. I think that his passing is actually a little bit underrated by his assist numbers because that team is a fucking disaster shooting the ball. Uh, I think his overall impact on the game is underrated by that Detroit team because they're a disaster shooting the ball and he has no space to operate whatsoever on the court. Um, I've been very impressed by Cade Cunningham uh, basically across the board since that early little struggle that made people uh, have meltdowns. Yeah, people said it was a bust. I, I read an interview he had. It was actually like a player's journal he did on The Undefeated where he admitted, he said, it took me a month before I, I had my legs under me. And that was the Portland game. He had 26 points. But even by like game three, I'm looking at my numbers now, and he played 76ers. He had 18 points, 10 rebounds, four assists. He was four for yep. 17 from the field. But the misses weren't bad. You could tell the game was slowing down. The injury was fading. Like some of those misses were... At his size, he can play the a little bit of the bully ball ISO stuff because he, he yeah. is so still bigger than a lot of the guards covering him. Yeah. But then, like just a little bit of the finesse and touch by the rim, it, you can tell like it hasn't really caught up to everything else. But the rest of the pieces have have been what we expected. He's been a better defender than I thought it would be. He he plays really physical. He switches. He communicates. They played Milwaukee the other night. And just multiple efforts, scrambles, cutting guys off, using his chest, and then diving for loose balls, starting the offense down the other other way. I've been happy with everything aside from the turnovers. And the turnovers were what we were worried about coming in. And we gave him a little bit of a hand wave at Oklahoma State because we were saying similar things. His The personal around him wasn't great. He's a high dribble, handles a little bit loose. He's at 3.8 a game right now. I don't think it's unreasonable that he can get down to below three or two and a half, just like reeling in a little bit of the stuff that he does. Um, but well, and playing with real actual spacing. Wow. Yes. Well, they're not the worst shooting team in the league anymore. By 0.4%, they're second to last over Oklahoma City. And we do have to give credit to Sadiq Bay. He's been on a, a great stretch here. He's had 30 points, two of the last three games, shooting it better from three. And that's just going to open everything else up more. Are, are you worried at all with the, the camps that people say, well, Cade doesn't really shoot it well from two, it's only from three, and, and how is this all going to work for a, a number one pick and a, a building block for the Pistons? I, I, I'm personally not, but I'm, I'm curious on, on where you're at. I would like to see him be able to get to the rim a touch easier. 
I would say, which kind of feeds into like the two point stuff. And frankly, it feeds into him drawing more fouls. Like I would like to see him be able to draw more fouls as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is where I don't even think it's like just two point percentage. I think that he needs to be able to more easily get to the basket and finish. Now, Mm -hmm. I think that that will come whenever he gets into a scheme with more space like whenever (laughs) draft a shooter yeah please like draft jabari like i would i need detroit to end up with jabari smith like we need to see that combination because good lord it is it's tough to watch like i love isaiah stewart i i I absolutely love the guy i think we're huge fans of isaiah stewart on this podcast um he really just kind of takes up space in like that middle area he like short rolls and then waits for the ball or like he rolls all the way to the rim teams have no respect for him as a shooter right now and he's big and long and like he just kind of takes up a lot of like real estate in the paint Mm -hmm. yeah um you know like Hamadou Diallo he's on a great tear like all respect to Hamadou Diallo nobody in the NBA respects him as a shooter uh no one respects Killian Hayes as a shooter, which a lot of Cade Cunningham's minutes have come with him. Like, it's Jeremy Grant is a guy that, like, I think teams don't think is going to pull right off the catch whenever he catches the ball and is open from three. He's going to, like, survey for a second, and then if it's a short closeout, maybe he'll pull or maybe he'll try and, like, attack a little bit. So, I. I would like to see Cade Cunningham on a roster that makes sense. Like I've been talking to like scouts throughout the year, and they're just like, "This is this is brutal watching Cade have to deal with this roster." Yeah, well, it's it, as brutal as it is. You still want him to shoot it a little bit higher percentage. You can't mix in as many yeah. of these two for thirteen nights that he's had. These six yeah. turnover nights, seven turnover nights. Some of that's still on him. I, I do all to call out, not to be super corny, but also his leadership ability. When Isaiah Stewart caught a, a loose one from LeBron James and kind of lost his mind, Kate Cunningham was the first one that like ran toward the fire, ran toward the action. Yeah. He's holding back Isaiah Stewart. He's playing. I don't even say offensive line, or uh, he's a running back picking oh, up yeah. a blitz from a linebacker, or, or whatever it is. But it seems like he's that type of guy that's going to hold his players and his teammates accountable. And he said he wants to be a leader, and that's actually yeah. doing it and living it, not just talking about it. Yeah, no, he is actually a leader on the court. Like you mentioned, the communication stuff. You mentioned the way he talks to his teammates on defense. Like that's all real. Like you, you watch them play. He is a big piece of organizing them to like the semblance that they make sense with this mm-hmm. roster. Um, yeah, no, I, I've, I would still take Cade Cunningham. Number one. I, I don't really have much concern there. Um, let's talk about Jalen green who went number two in this draft. I, it's not been great. They're two and 20 when he plays They're eight and seven mm. when he doesn't play, uh, He's averaging 15 points up until last night's 12-point outing uh, in his four games since he returned from a hamstring injury. And I believe he had a quick COVID absence, um, maybe while he was recovering from the hamstring injury, something like that. I think it was a hamstring, by the way. Don't quote me on that necessarily. Yeah. Um, 
he had averaged 22 a game in his first four games back. So that's good. <laughs> um, I also want to give him some benefit of the doubt because he's playing next to a very similar player in Kevin Porter who has very, very similar weaknesses to him that are only exacerbated because Kevin plays at an even wilder pace. Um, Like Kevin Porter is like one of the least winning players in the NBA right now. I totally understand the upside and Houston is not a winning team right now. So they're rebuilding. They should give him some leeway to work through his game a little bit. I'm not blaming them by any stretch. I just also think it's worth noting that like Kevin Porter is inefficient, doesn't defend, doesn't shoot right now. Like it's, it's hard, I think for Jalen green, uh, whenever he's paired with that as his lead guard. Um, it also like he's, he's, uh, he does a lot of that stuff too, though. Like he takes a lot of inefficient shots. He doesn't really pass the ball. Well, He's not a defender at all right now, but that team just has like no chance defensively because Kevin Porter is often their guy at the point of attack. Christian Wood, like his effort is abysmal half the time. Like it's they, they you know, Alper and Shangoon is out there for 20 minutes a night and Shangoon's really bad defensively as much as we like him. They don't really have a chance defensively right now. Jalen Green plays a role in that, let's say. Yeah, man. <laughs> You're burying me and just trying to get me to crawl out slowly. Brick well, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm trying to be the no, bad guy was, here. So was, you can, it was, it was so Frank. you can it be the Frank positive honest. person. Yeah. Oh, right? Role reversal. He's had he, some he, great flashes. He, like, he I, I want to give you the opportunity and, and to talk positively about him. <laughs> he's been up and down. He was a volume guy, lowish percentage shooter in high school. He was. Yeah. He got better with USA Basketball. I thought he got better with the G League Ignite, and especially better once the G League bubble was over. He has taken more threes than twos, and it feels like the default for him is kind of one of those like off-balance leading threes. Yep. The flashes have been there. I mean, the game I watched, I think before the injury, he played the Bulls. He ripped it off the rim and like floated coast to coast like by six guys and just dunked. And, and that's the appeal of, of who he is as a player. I still believe in the self-creation I want the creation to lead to some easier, cleaner looks for himself at times, which you've yeah. kind of alluded to. He's been a lot better since he was out for a month. If we record this podcast two weeks ago, we'd say, yeah, I don't I don't know. But you could see the growth, so maybe watch some film. Maybe he just talked to the right coaches, got in the gym, and said, this is what we got to do better. I talked to an NBA scout when, when prepping for this pod because I, I, I'm not as in tuned and ingrained in the NBA stuff and just asked his takes on a couple things. And what he did remind me of, which is good and kind of grounded me some, is that sometimes these athletic wings take time. I mean, we, we yeah. comped him to Zach Levine. Zach Levine averaged 10 points per game as a rookie and didn't average 20 points per game until his fourth year in the NBA. That same yep. kind of trajectory goes for Brad Beal. It took him five years to average 20 points per game. I, I'm not quitting on, on Jalen Green. It, it's going to be ugly. He's going to take some lumps. It, it's not necessarily – the best makeup roster wise for him right now with Kevin Porter and just the it, it's it's not ideal for kind of where he needs to be but it, it's we can't write the kid off yet after whatever 30 35 games like it's it's gonna yeah. be a, a slow burn and he could be a guy in, in three weeks we say hey he's a lot better 
or three years, we say he's he's gotten a lot better year by year. It's just taken longer yep. than maybe we anticipated. I did as like the plug and play. He was in the G League, so kind of already in the NBA for twenty games. He should be ready to go. It's just it's um, it hasn't been as as much of a light switch turn. Yeah, I'm not worried. I did not expect Jalen Green to be an effective NBA player this year, just because of the nature of his game. Right, yeah. like these guys struggle early on in their careers. One thing that I think we often don't talk about in that regard, when we talk about guys improving their shooting, we often talk about the players like Scotty Barnes, right, who go from being like non-shooters, terrible shooters, to being like competent shooters, or in Scotty's case, like he's turning into something maybe even beyond that. Uh, We often start with like the low end of shooters getting into being solid shooters, right? The same goes for guys like Jalen Green who enter with a like reasonable shooting background, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jalen Green can shoot. And those guys, similarly to the other guys, they get better as shooters throughout the course of their careers. They do. And it's really hard to play at the pace and at the style that Jalen Green likes to play at in the NBA. You can't just be an okay shooter and do that. You have to be an utterly elite shooter to play at that style and be effective consistently night in, night out in the NBA. And I think Jalen Green is learning that, and I think that he'll come back next year, the year after that, and he'll have improved even further as a pull-up jump shooter. And some of the inefficiency that we're talking about in terms of what is currently poor shot selection might not be as bad when he's mm-hmm. 23 years old. So, yeah, I'm not worried about Jalen Green at all long term. He just hasn't been very good so far, and that's okay. Like, it's it's totally fine. Yeah, hold on to the lottery ticket. We're not done here yet. But okay. if, he's taking, if he's taking as many threes, more threes than twos, got to hit some threes. That's all. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Suggs, we talked about Jalen Suggs early in the year. He has been out with a fractured thumb. It seems like he's not all that close to coming back based off of what Jamal Mosley is saying, Mm -hmm. uh, that they're taking it slow and that he hasn't really even started too much on court work yet. So we might not see Jalen Suggs for a while at this point. Um, I'm still in. Like, he's much more... I've seen the Killian Hayes thing pop up a little bit. Like, is this, like, this year's version of Killian Hayes? He's not that. He's just so much more drastically athletic than Killian Hayes is. That, like, it just gives him a much higher floor for what he can do on the court. Um, But, yeah, like, I I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on Jalen Suggs because we've talked about him probably after, like... 12 games in the NBA and he's only played 20 so far. So like, I don't, I don't think we need to like dive super deep. Do you have any just quick thoughts? Yeah, just efficiency. He's sub 35% for the field, 25% from three, basically yeah. a one to one assist to turnover ratio, making the game too difficult. Just forces some bad looks. The same type of finishes he got away with in college are now blocked in the lane. And we talk about that yeah. all the time. And the mid range, just the pull up has to get with, with more conviction because his running mate next to him, Cole Anthony, who received all these criticisms a year ago in summer league in the preseason is now kind of passing him a little bit like ships of the night. Like he's the most improved player. So it's uh that's, that's another one that's interesting to track. I, I think he's going to get back to being sort of the player that we anticipated. Um, just, it, it didn't, it didn't happen immediately. Like we thought. Yeah. It comes to me from just not having those like on ball 
pick and roll reps, like it seems like against high level athletes. Uh, at Gonzaga, he played like as sharing the point guard position uh, mm-hmm. with Andrew Nemhard, and I think it's going to just take some time. It's going to take him working his way through those reps, working his way through the progressions, through the reads, progressions. Because wh- why am I talking about progressions, Penny? Uh, you told me. I don't know. Because they, they keep going. Because Jalen Suggs is a former high school quarterback. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm well aware. Somebody tweeted at me last night. Uh, I think Kevin did. It was that, uh, did you know that Johnny Davis is a first-team All-State quarterback? And I said, I've actually known Johnny for a long time, and I did not know that. So, of course, why not? Mm. I have to catapult Johnny Davis up the board a few spots because are we of that. Sure, are we sure that's true? Is that actually 1, accurate? Looked it up last night, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. So they have, two, they have two high school quarterbacks. They have him and Brad Davidson. <laughs> Oh, Brad Davidson. He's he's been there longer than I've been at UMass. God bless him. That's true. Okay, um, but no, with Suggs, I think it's just going to be working his way through his progressions, continuing to tighten up as a ball handler. I honestly think this time on the sidelines like might help him. Um, just seeing see how fast bit. the game is, seeing just all of that, I think is actually going to benefit him a little bit. Um, do you want to talk about Josh Giddy next? Oh yeah, he went number six. We've talked oh, yeah. about all the other. Uh, top five guys. Yeah, I, I think you're contractually obligated to start being in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I like what I've seen from Josh. Like, just a very high level passer. His translated to the NBA immediately because of the way he processes the game. He's very clearly just one of the smartest players on the basketball court, even at 19 years old. Right. Every time he's on the court. And that really helps. There are a lot of things that he needs to improve. Uh, he really has to shoot the ball in yeah. order to be the peak effectiveness that he can be. I think he's dealt well with contact on the defensive end. He just needs to keep getting better defensively. But he became the youngest player in NBA history to have a triple-double uh, earlier this week. In 17 points, I think 13 rebounds and 14 assists. Rebounds the ball well, pushes the ball well out in transition, uh, creates high-level scoring opportunities for his teammates by moving the ball and by creating further transition opportunities. Yeah, look, I'm, uh, I'm, I think that this has gone as well as it could have yeah. for Josh Giddy in his first season. He's he's this giant facilitating wizard. He's he's good for two to three moves a night where they aren't real life passes. Whether it's this laser missile dribble off pick and roll or a left handed live dribble cross court whip to an open shooter, he, he's going to make your draw drop when he plays. Six assists to three turnovers. Like the first tier of guys, a, a little bit here. The shooting has been a little kind of lukewarm. Thirty nine from the field, twenty six from a free throw. I'm sorry, from a three point line, sixty five percent from the free throw line. The, he's just going to see a lot of drop coverage during him to shoot. It's, it's happened a little bit. I, I actually will give him credit. The shot seems like sped up in a good sense. He's better off the dribble. When he got rolling the other night, the triple double, he was really feeling it, and he hit a shot and started to like. It was less of a thought process and more of like a natural, here's my jump shot. Uh, I, I yeah. love the creativity. I, I really like some of his finishing package. He's so young. He, he doesn't seem intimidated. He doesn't know. He's the youngest person to get a triple-double out there. Just unlock the jumper and, and hopefully split the difference between he had like an offer uh, the game before. He had like zero points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, then the triple-double. Meet somewhere in the middle, uh, get Shea back, get him healthy, and that's a that's a great core to work around. Yeah, I agree. Like, they could even use, like, one more, like, power guard, almost, I think. And, like, use, like, 
Like, I think that, like, getting, like, a strong physical guard, uh, even on top of Lou Dort, to play next to those two would be really beneficial for them long term. Um, Chris Duarte next. He's been the, like, among the top six rookies, I think he's the sixth guy. Uh, Yeah, what we thought, like, coming in. We both had him, I think, as a lottery pick, right? Yeah, right there. He goes in the lottery. He's 24 years old. He's ready to play from the jump. He's... Solid defensively, not like a spectacular defender. He's a good shooter from three who you can consistently trust to make good decisions. He's he's a really, really good, like, starter caliber player in the NBA. He, he raced out to a really hot start. And then he slowed down. He's injured. He's getting back to where he was. He's excellent at a catch and shoot. He can run baseline to baseline and spot. He handles and scores yep. it well on the break also love him as a decoy like one pass away because his defender has to shade up to him and it gives more of a, a driving angle and lane my problem is this when indiana took him i liked it because despite being a little bit older he was a step in and help right away type of player which which yep. indiana seemed to want on a contending roster now i don't they haven't done any major trades yet i don't know if they're going to blow it up if they're trying to trade somebody if they are did it make sense to take a, a 24-year-old at 13 when you could have blown it up and, and maybe went younger, somebody like Moses Moody, who went a pick later, and developed them over time? Is, is it, I don't say a waste, but was it a little bit of a misguided pick based on where the, yeah. the line is of, of what the Patriots want to do as an organization? So I think it depends on what they do. If I, if I yeah. was them, personally, I would trade them on a bonus. Like I, I think that he's the one that makes sense to move. Um, I, I would rather keep Miles Turner in longer term. I think he'll be cheaper than Sabonis at the center position. And I think Sabonis, you kind of have some trade-offs there in terms of his defensive ability um, and his like a need to have the ball, right? So I would move Sabonis, and it would depend on what I'm doing within such a deal am I like totally rebuilding? Am I just retooling? Like, am I using Demonis Sabonis plus other stuff um, and involving a third team to get involved in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes? Mm. Because if you are getting Ben Simmons, pairing him with Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Duarte, Miles Turner as a threesome who can all shoot really at a high level for their position that makes like the most sense of the world yeah, for right. Ben Simmons, right? right. Yep. So I think it depends on the road that they do. They kind of go down. But if I was them, I would strongly consider what road they're going down. In very like, I would really consider moving Chris Duarte if they are going down a rebuilding track because I think he would be one of the most valuable trade chips on the market this year, if only because he has a contract that is affordable. And a lot of these teams that are contending this year, they don't have a lot of like sal- salary matching chips via trade, basically, um, just because they're like maxes and minimums teams, right? Yeah. Duarte, you can pair like a exception and a minimum guy and trade for him, right? And it's easy to make that happen. So I, I would very strongly, if they're going to go down the road of a rebuild. I would move him if I was them. But if they are just retooling and trying to do like a quick turnaround, obviously keep him and build around him and make it work. We'll take him in Boston. Could use a little, a little um, shooting. 
I'm guy. sure we'll you would. <laughs> we'll take him. We'll take some bonus. Who else we got? You'll take them all. We'll take them uh, all. Okay. What other rookies do you want to talk about? Like, my, my dear sweet boy, Herb Jones, has been incredible. Oh, he's I been love awesome. him. Yep. Like, just the best defensive, uh, his, the best defensive rookie outside of Evan Mobley, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if they play the 33rd game. He started 23 of 32 games. So it wasn't, it wasn't one of these COVID call up situations, which, COVID stinks. Let's start with that. If there's a silver lining, it's a lot of these rookies and, and free agents have got an opportunity and more opportunity. But he was starting anyway. He had 26 and 7 yeah. against Cleveland. He yeah. scored more than 20 points once during the 12 years he was at Alabama. Uh, <laughs> he's shooting 37% from three when you yeah. and I were like, man, if he could only shoot. He He's just more of a supersized two-way player version that we saw in Tuscaloosa and and now it's here. It's the NBA and he's 23 years old and maybe this is another guy that you, us, we have to take longer looks on prospects with translatability despite the age because I'm I don't care that he's 23. We're talking about he's he's a starting guy in the NBA, and the, they rave at about 23. him. 23, right? Yeah. They rave about him in in the franchise, and then you look at his pick. He's picked 35th. Here's here's picks 35 to 38. Herb Jones, Miles McBride, JT Thor, Io DeSumo. Those are NBA starters. So like picks late in the draft also still matter. Like you gotta evaluate. They're not throwaway picks, and he was a, a good guy identified. He fits everything that they're trying to do there like him a lot yep i like him a lot too both you and i had him as a first rounder i think yeah in the late draft process go crazy but yeah, yeah late first yeah like we we really liked him we thought he made a ton of sense for a lot of teams it's funny like frankly the team he's on in new orleans i don't know how much sense he makes for them long term because their most important player is zion and for zion to be at his utmost success level probably need to surround him with a lot of shooters and while Herb Jones is shooting 37% from three right now, that's going to be his swing skill in terms yeah. of does he stay as a long-term piece in New Orleans or does you know does it all make sense for him? So uh, Alperin Shengun, do you want to talk about him very quickly? He's been great as a passer, <sighs> great as a facilitator, great as a ball handler for a big. I don't know what you do with him defensively right now. I, I don't. I'm so sick of seeing his per 100 possessions or 36 minute stats. I, I don't want to. I don't want to see him anymore. It, it's it's not real life. He he's shown some really nice flashes too. He has great footwork, like a ballerina's feet, in that he spins, he he drives, he spins back, he he catches you off balance. He sees the floor as a passer. He's he's great there. Can make plays out of the high post. The three point shot hasn't adjusted like I, like I thought it might. And defense, the numbers will, will tell you he still gets a block and a steal a game. He's better as a as a weak side kind of guy. But he can close out too hard, get beat. It's kind of slow to change ends. Why, what am I uh, – uh, if you're at NBA Twitter, darling, please mute this part. Why has he become this guy that everyone rallies around like the Rockets are missing him by not playing him more and, and being a uh, – I, I don't even know, like beyond a rotational piece. Well, I think it's that Rockets fans are sick of watching Christian Wood, like, not care on defense. And, like, just, like, look disappointed to be out there half the time, right? Like, (laughs) I I think that... No, thanks. Not today. Yeah, like, I think that that probably plays a role. I also think that Houston fans realize their team is bad Mm -hmm. and would 
prefer to just see the young guy getting minutes. Like, I, I do think that Houston fans go, like, a little bit overboard with him. I'm not, like, quite as high as they are on, like, Alper and Shangun future all-star based off of the fact that he's as productive as he is on a per-minute basis. Having said that, like, on a per-minute basis, no center in the NBA is averaging more, or only one center in the NBA is averaging more assists than Alper and Shangun. Don't do this. Don't do and this to me. Nikola Jokic. Like, oh, God. Why? I said don't do this. I said don't do this. We're doing this. This is the problem. He's Jokic. No, he's not. He, he can start. But, yeah, but no, no question. He, he can start for sure. But he's yeah. like, you still need all the, the great pieces around him in order for him to be a effective starter right. to win games. That, that's my yeah. point. Here, here's what I would say. Part of the reason that Alperin Shengun can't play more minutes right now is like he fouls the fuck out of everyone on the court. <laughs> Like, That's that European here, translation. He's played in Turkey. They don't call fouls in FIBA, so he's just he's adjusting. Well, like here's another per thirty six number for you. Oh. No center in the NBA is averaging more fouls per minute Perfect. than Alperin Sengun. Yeah. So like, no disrespect to him, but like he's still really figuring it out on that end. Like yeah. it, it has not been good. Like I, I know that the deflection numbers. Like I think he's like in the top like, 20 in deflections in the NBA right now, per game even, like, while he's playing 20 minutes a night. And mm-hmm. I think that, like, he's, you know, stealing a block and people get excited. Yeah. He's bad on defense. Like, he can't stay with anyone in space. If they get him out on an island, it's over. Like, he fouls the hell out of everyone. I mean, it's it's not good with him <laughs> on the defensive end. But I, they're they're a bad team, so why not just let them play through it? I think I'm, is where Houston fans, yeah, come I'm, I'm, from, right? I'm, I'm like doing, just I'm let them play through could, it. Yeah, it could be an NBA star. That's fine. Let, let them play through it. But there's still there's still some warts. There's still some deficiencies to work out here. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I think his offensive skill level is really high. I, like, I think that the flashes that we have seen from him, their offense runs so much better when he's out on the court because of the mm-hmm. ball movement. Because the other thing that he does a ton of, he's just constantly fucking moving. Like, he's, you know, throwing a dribble handoff and then going opposite corner setting screens. And then he comes back up, sets like a flare screen for another guy. Like, it's, he's just moving. He's moving constantly and he's kind of facilitating movement for his teammates as well. And it just leads to better offense that makes more sense for them. So, I completely understand why Houston fans are really excited I would temper it. I think I'm like with yeah. you. I'm somewhere in the middle, I think, right now. Like, part of the reason he can't, he's not playing right now is because it's hard to have him on the court defensively and because he fouls so often that, like, he's in foul trouble sometimes, right? Yeah. Like, also, they're really bad. He's really fun. Let's just let it roll a little What's bit, that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I would, like, look, I had him as a top 10 guy in the draft in the pre draft. Like, I would still take him in the top 10. Uh, I, I would mm. not take him at like five or six or yeah. something. But like, if we're talking about like him versus Crystal Duarte, like I would take him over Crystal Duarte if we were redrafting right now. I would not. I have like twenty. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine there. Take a, a center that could start, maybe doesn't start at twenty. I'm, I'm okay there. Yeah, like if we're, I would take Crystal Duarte to help my team win right now. Right. But Alperen yeah. Sengun's like freaking <laughs> barely just turned twenty, or maybe even still is nineteen. And he's as effective as he is. Like, I, I would take him over Duarte, but that's just me. Um, and any other, like, below-the-line guys that we need to talk uh, about? Like, I, have, I have two more I want to talk to. The one, One's pretty interesting. I want to talk about Davion Mitchell. 
Yeah. And 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 here's why. We both loved him. Loved him at Baylor. I, I had some questions about him coming in, what it yeah. would look like just at, at his size. And it, he's a polarizing prospect because it's layered. He's picked ninth overall when Sacramento already has De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and Tyrese Halliburton. Now, in eight, I don't know how much Kings you've watched, but eight of the last nine games, Tyrese Halliburton has 10-plus assists. Okay, so just as part of, we're contextualizing. For Davion, he, he's super tough. He, he defends. He rebounds. He's averaging just under 10 points, four rebounds, three assists. There's shades of kind of a little bit Marcus Smarty in, in, in that sense, the, the winner-type plays. But the shooting is troublesome for me because his three years in college, he shot 29%. 32% and 45%. And some scouts thought that that 45% was a trend in the right direction. Others yep. thought it was an anomaly. It wouldn't be repeated. For now, the latter appears correct. He's shooting 30% from three. And he's better than better the last month, but it's hard for a six-foot-one guard when, at least me personally, I'm crushing guys like Kennedy Chandler and John Montero for being too small and at the same time, I'm saying, yeah, I really like Davion Mitchell when even the free throw percentage is 67%. That, that is usually like an indicator. The shot's going to get better. Yeah. Then you go with Synergy and tells like a really dark statistical story about most of his, his shooting. So I know he's a, a good pick-and-roll ball handler, decision maker. When you have all those guards and the shooting's not there, what, what do we kind of do with them going forward? So a couple things. I would say that if we don't think he can shoot long term, I mean he's like a guy that you take in the twenties. Like he's not a not like a top ten guy. Right. I think what I think I had him at like eleven, maybe. You had him where like top. You had him in the lottery, could, right? Yeah. It, it was definitely lottery. I'm not. Um, yeah. Short term, um, definitely lottery. Yeah, like he would not have been my pick for the Kings. I understand why they did because they felt like they needed to inject some defensive attitude into this team. Yep. And I don't blame them because holy shit, has that defense been disastrous like over the course of the last few years and like haven't been good this year either. But the thing that's interesting to me is that if this version of Tyrese Halliburton is real, right? Like what we've seen from him over the last like month or so, where he is, what, like 17 points, nine assists, seven rebounds. Like, mm-hmm. if he's going to be a legit, like, on ball starting point guard, I think that the idea of Davion Mitchell is like the exact archetype of player that you would want to put next to him. If we that- think he's like their actual starting point guard of the future. If they like would decide to move De'Aaron Fox or whatever, well, reason, yeah, that was right? that, that was my like that. That's like, kind what do you of De'Aaron Fox because it's it's three's company, right? It's like you probably right. could have in the draft taken six to eight wings rather than Davion Mitchell. I had a Davion Mitchell as a top ten guy, but the fit I didn't really agree with. I, I, said, I hated dra- it. I said draft. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. We'll, we'll see what we do here. But Halliburton's gone like this way, and De'Aaron Fox, I, I still really like and. If like something's got to give, that, that's my point. Something's got to give here yeah. with, with the backcourt. Yeah, I agree. I mean, something has to give with that team in general. Like they, they need to do something because it, you know, the, they, they've turned it around a little bit recently. But like Alvin Gentry was like fucking furious, like just last week with them. Mm-hmm. I think so. Like maybe it was ten days ago, or whatever. I mean, but 
look, they, they need to figure something out. I completely agree. Um, just not a not a good spot for like general prospects right now. It feels like if you're just going to keep piling on point guards, uh, I, I look if Davion Mitchell isn't going to shoot then he's a guy that you take in the 20s. Yeah. I still think he's going to shoot, like, off of the catch. That was always my thing. Like, I thought that he would shoot well off the catch and attack closeouts and use his speed and decision-making to make positive plays. I saw him more as, like, an off-ball, high-level lead guard. I still see that. Like, that's kind of where I'm at. And because you have Tyrese Halliburton, maybe that's your backcourt of the future. Like, I, I'm... I think that's a real possibility still, but where does that leave De'Aaron Fox, who is ostensibly your best or second best player behind Harrison Barnes this year? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I, I really don't know. Like it's a, it's a strange situation. You you wanted to talk about a second guy though, and who is who is that? Oh, you know who it is. I have to do one for closing the segment. I, I have to bring up my guy. Come on, one minute, one minute. Go ahead. So Josh Primo lights up the G League showcase. He outplayed Jaden Hardy. Uh, he showed he can be an on-ball facilitator, which was the knock. He didn't get on-ball reps at, at Alabama. I love how he sees the game, finds the role man, places fast by the rim. This is legitimate. He was really good. He was really he killed <laughs> he, no, that team. You're right. He did. And I, I every NBA scout yes. and front office person yes. was sitting front row and saying, "That guy, Jaden Hardy's top five. Who like they know Josh Primo, but like who's that guy who's who's doing whatever he wants on the floor? So just the when he shoots, I expected to go in. He was three for five from from deep that game. My question to you, and you've you've dodged it a little bit. Now I'm gonna put your feet to the fire here. Oh, Josh Primo's crazy. in this draft this year. What pick is he? What what's his floor as a as a pick in this draft? I think he probably goes in the top ten. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like he goes in the top ten. Yeah, yeah. he he would very clearly go in the top ten in this year's draft. Um, where do I think he would go realistically right now? I would take Jaden Ivey over him. I would. Okay. Um, I would have taken Jaden Ivey over him last year as well. Uh, would you take him or Johnny Davis? Uh, pretend you didn't see the game last night. If I didn't see the game last night, I'd say Primo. I, I got to see more of, uh, I've seen a ton of Johnny yeah. Davis from the from the circuit in his first two years here at, at Wisconsin, but have to see more. I'd take Primo. I, I hate to say it. Yeah, it. it but that's the, that's the range we're Actually, talking don't like five. I like to say it. Yeah, I mean, you the guys scoring twenty but, points per game in a G League showcase against pros and and guys who are considered lottery picks. It's not. Uh, yeah. The turnovers have to get better. He he can throw it all over the place. If he's a, a big league guard that can shoot and see the floor, and he's young and humble, I'm, I'm still there. Still there. Yeah. No, he'd go 5 to 10 in mm-hmm. this year's draft. I think pretty easily. Pretty comfortably would go 5 to 10. Um, the thing that I will say, though, is like San Antonio didn't get much of a discount taking him when they did and developing for him for a year and burning a year of his rookie scale deal. Right? They got him basically at the value that he is. Like maybe just a little bit lower, not much. Yeah, a little, little bit better, but hindsight's always twenty twenty. It was it was a calculated risk that they took. That was their guy at twelve. Yeah, people people thought they were crazy, but we've already said he's outplayed that. No, he has. Like Josh Primo has been really good. I, I joke and like put my head in my hands whenever you bring up I Primo. Have to. Yeah, but it's you're a hundred percent right. Like very, very good player, and I, I have no I have no qualms with what you're saying right now. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, look, I, I don't need know that we need to like dive further into this rookie class. That's like, good. We, I we like Ayo Desumu. I like Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Austin Reeves has been fun. You know, X, Y, and Z. Right. Let's let's move on. Bones. Okay, mailbag time. Yeah. Matthew Penny. Okay, our first question for the mailbag comes from Adam right. Spinella. Oh, box uh, one. What a what a great person Adam is. Okay, Spinella fourteen. Which prospect has the best chance to be this year's version of Brandon Boston, uh, i.e. struggles as a freshman, falls to the second round, figures it out fairly quickly in the NBA? Oh, that's 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 a great question. It's yeah. it's hard because you don't really know necessarily who's going to declare. Some Somebody who, just off the top of my head, the first name I thought of was Bryce McGowan from Nebraska. If he did do that and he did declare... I could see him kind of getting in the, the right fit and situation. I, I don't think he's ready. I mean, I, I watched the Ohio State game the other night. He's got ways to go. But I, I still see the, the multiple clay of a skill set that he can get there. Yeah. No, I uh, I think that McGowan's might still go in the first round, to be honest. Like, I have a mock that's coming this week, and I have him at 30. I, I wonder... I well, wonder B, what B, would happen went with 51. So it's even like a, a deeper dive than that. Yeah. Like I, I wonder what would happen with Peyton Watson. If Peyton Watson declared for this draft, like I, I do not have him on the mock draft right now. Um, he has not scored a field goal. And part of this is like UCLA schedule. Right. But like he hasn't scored a field goal since before. November Thanksgiving. 22nd. Yeah. November 22nd. <laughs> They've also had some COVID stuff. So they, they haven't played. Yeah. Uh, a little bit but, but it's yeah. four straight games without a field goal <laughs> yeah, no, as well. uh, i'm not sugarcoating it. like yeah so I-, I wonder what would happen with peyton watson if he ended up in this draft and decided because he is very athletic like he is six foot seven seven foot wingspan you know very long very skilled he's just behind a lot of wings mm-hmm. and is raw and it's you know gonna take some time um i don't think max christie would fall to you know, 45 or whatever, 45 and under. But I also don't think he would declare for the draft if he was going to fall for fall below 40. So he's got the right people around him. He's not going to do that. I anticipate not no breaking news, nothing here, but I anticipate him going back to school. I don't, I don't think he's ready yet. I think he knows that a lot of crazy things have happened. Calendar year just turned. He could go on some bananas run here for two and a half months yep. and could be a different story on, on March 10th. But today, I, I don't. I, I hope he doesn't. I hope he goes back to school. Because, I mean, th- in, because then in Max, this draft, Max becomes like the guy, could, right? Yeah, totally. Like it, in, in this draft, he could go on like a crazy one month run, and Michigan State could go on one of these classic Michigan State runs to the Final Four. And. You know, he ends up averaging 16 points a game over the course of their final eight games or whatever, and he could go in the first round, right? Sure. Like, yeah. th- this this year is just wide open. It, it's a hard question, I think, this one from Adam. But, like, I it, – it's just – it's hard because everything is still so wide open yeah. in this year's class. But the reason I picked Peyton Watson is, like, it kind of seems like it's not going to go – um, the way that maybe we envision with Peyton Watson early on, just due to opportunity as much as anything. Sure. Pey- Peyton's a good name because of that. Okay. Um, we're going to do four questions today because a couple people have actually asked for this one as well. Oh. Um, thoughts on how you'd compare Keegan Murray and EJ Liddell as potential pro prospects and roles? 
Well, I, I see him very different. I see him very different. I, do too. I, I feel like Keegan's been pigeonholed kind of as this like four, and, and not like back to the basket four, but kind of like more traditional in a sense. Where I think Keegan has a lot more wing stuff to his game. Where yeah. even when he catches in the post, he can like rake back. He had a nasty move against Illinois where he took a dribble. It's like where are you going? He pulled back and hit a jumper. I said, "Ooh, that might yeah. be something." And then, he had a few of those nasty, like, step-back fadeaways last night against Maryland, Oh, too. Then, then Maryland last night, I think he was, like, four for five or five for six from three. Uh, I, I just tweeted about that, that his jumper, I think, in I, – I have his top ten guy right now. And if that jumper, like, really gets ironed out because it looks right, he's the a pick-and-pop trail to play, but then it can also handle the ball a little bit going off. Whereas yeah. E.J. Liddell, the last game I watched against – Nebraska, he was an exceptional passer, and when he's in the post, he was the the opposite man had to like come down and help and double, and he hit opposite and dive back. He, yeah. he saw the floor really well, but the shooting was bad. I mean, the, the jumper was like really, really flat, like not even close to going in. So because yeah. of that, I, I have Keegan significantly above EJ. I like what he brings as kind of one of these bigger connecty type posts, but not not the same level of prospect that I view Keegan Murray. Yeah, I was going to say, like, in terms of roles, I can see the comparison. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think that in order for them to be successful, they would play a similar role, right? Like, you would have EJ as, like, the trailer, the switchable defender as, like, a smaller big, right? Like, um, the problem is that EJ is nowhere near as athletic. He's just not, right? Like, he doesn't have that, like, even the mobility that Keegan has – I think he's probably a little bit more reactive defensively than what Keegan is. Like, I think that he's very strong on the weak side. He has a stronger frame in general than what Keegan does, I think. And that allows him to be a bit more impactful as a rim protector. But, like, I I worry that EJ is a small ball five in the NBA in the same way that, like, Grant Williams has essentially turned into like a small ball five at times in the NBA. Right, and and Grant shooting the ball exceptionally well this year. And and that has kind of allowed him to to stay on the the court. And it hasn't been an entire thing throughout his career, but when shooting 40 plus percent. And occasionally slide up the lineup, too, and like play the four occasionally. And and with that, with EJ, they give you space and dare to shoot. You got to hit some, you got to knock some down. Like they didn't have, Nebraska didn't have any fear that he was going to hit a jumper late in that game. Yeah, I think he's farther away as a shooter than what I thought. Yeah. Um, just it, it's a very flat trajectory. Like it's it, it's going to take some time for him, I think, to like really really shoot. Um, Keegan, like you said, like I think Keegan can play the four pretty easy. Uh, it, I do have like some small questions about his mobility defensively. Like he could be a small ball five, but. I think that he's probably going to be able to switch or like at least manage on the perimeter defensively. I don't think he's going to be a plus defender, but I think he can live out there and yeah, like he, not get murdered. He he can manage three through five. He, he does still have active hands, still gets out in the break. He leads the break. He leads the country in scoring. He does get a bunch of points in transition. I like that he can, he can score when the game slowed down too in the half court. And score at different sets. I really like him. Yeah. I'm higher than most, and uh, I'm staying with that with Keegan Murray. Yeah, last night kind of opened my eyes a little bit more. I, I think like I've been more like, oh yeah, like he's like a top 15, top 18 guy with Keegan like throughout the year. 
I, I would have him pretty comfortably in the top 15, I yeah. would say. He's, right he's now. six to ten um, for me. Yeah. Okay. Next question here. Uh, we've got uh, Aiden Lacro-Rear-1. Okay. Let's, let's go with that. What's up, Aiden? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, LAC-Row-Rear-1. Uh, okay. I, I got nothing here, Penny. All good. Uh, All good. Seeing the rise in sophomore rise. lottery talent, who are some candidates that could return for next year and what more would they have to show to make that jump? We kind of talked about this a little bit, but like Max Christie, I think is like the guy that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, who, who else? Who else? We, stands we talked Bryce McGowan's, but the other two is Blake Wesley is might be gone. He's, he's been really good and seems like yeah. his NBA fans are growing in front offenses. Harrison Ingram's yeah. another one that's kind of on the cusp, and and that's the range. I mean, that, that's the range of the guys like. Ivy and not, not even Johnny Davis last year, but Ben Matherin, and they went back to school yep. and made themselves a lot of money by staying there and developing. What they have to do better, Harrison Ingram, it's just going to be the lateral quickness and the shooting has to get there just based on the foot speed, right? exceptional passer, yep. but everything else has to be it, – it's just a, you don't have as much space to, to miss when you don't have the, the foot speed and can guard on wings. And who who's the other one? Blake Wesley. I mean, he could. He's probably gone. So that's that's a bad example. But I'd say Harrison Ingram is the one for me the most um, to to go back and, and Bryce McGowan's to improve. Bryce would just be less settling on on his drives. He was he was better the last couple of games. Um, he he had been settling for jumpers, excuse me, and now he's driving the lane a little bit more inside out, as the announcers called out. Uh, and, and just more reps mm. at, at higher level and, and being a little bit more efficient and, and less of those five for 15 nights. I think the guy that stands out most for me here is Jeremy Sohan at Baylor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, very gifted, very interesting athlete. Uh, has potential to shoot it, but just isn't really a shooter yet. And his role just isn't that large right now at Baylor. I wonder if he returns for next year, if he would have like an enormous role, kind of similar to someone like Ben Matherin, similar to someone like Jaden Ivey, and would be able to go from like, hey, maybe he'd go in the late first round this year to top 10 pick next year. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's actually some school of thought that NBA guys may like him more than Kendall Brown, too. I was talking with somebody about that yesterday. I'm like, "Eh, that's a little high. (laughs) That's a little bit maybe of a reach, but hey, we're uh, we're in a weird draft cycle. So maybe. I don't know. Not not my pick, maybe. I've gotten that a couple times, and I don't, yeah, it's not a consensus opinion. Let's go with that. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question gives us an opportunity to talk about someone that we brought up a little bit on this podcast uh, from O. Sklansky on Twitter. Was Johnny Davis last night the best prospect game you've watched this cycle? Uh, if not, then what is uh, Johnny Davis last night against Purdue on the road had 37 points, 14 rebounds, two assists, two blocks, two steals, if I remember correctly? Yep. Is that the best prospect game you've seen from any player this year, Matt Penny? Yes. Hard yes. I, I thought about it for about 30 yeah. seconds. And just on the road at Purdue with kind of this juggernaut team at Mackey Arena, he hit big shot after big shot. It was mid-range, just going to the basket. He was keeping place alive. Yeah. He even had one steal in the backcourt where it's like, how is this guy like still here? He turned it over <laughs> once and still like blocked a shot at the rim <laughs> down the other end. Like, my bad. I made one mistake. So uh, that that is for me. And 
I, I talked to someone this morning who was who was at the game, and he said you should have just seen his reactions. I said, oh yeah, well, tell me about it. He said, none, killer, just like unflappable. You you yeah. couldn't do anything. He was just so unmoved by the moment in a good sense that he was just rolling and playing his game. Uh, yeah. Jaden Ivey still had flashes. He got into foul trouble in the first half. Bad offensive foul. I, I wouldn't have called it. Anyway, Johnny Davis lived up to the high ranking that I had him prior to the game, and I'm sure that he's going to be this kind of draft darling 5-10 to 10 range. In, in short, it was 37 points. It was a monster, loud 37 points on the road for a big win for Wisconsin over Purdue, who I still really like as a potential Final Four team. Yeah, Uh Johnny Davis is the national player of the year in college basketball right now. Um, I I don't really see it as all that close. Uh, There are some really great candidates out there, like Ben Matherin. Um, I've seen some people bring up Oscar Shibway because he's averaging like 15 and 15. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite as high on him as some are, but um, there are plenty of other candidates in the Big Ten. We talked about EJ Liddell a minute ago. Keegan Murray certainly stands out. But I, I think Johnny Davis is the clear guy right now. Without him, this Wisconsin team, I mean, they're probably an NIT team. Like, maybe an NIT team, right? Maybe. I mean, they, they also went in as enormous underdogs last night and answered the bell, delivered. And it was because of him. It really was. I mean, they did the graphic yeah. during the game. Like, Johnny Davis has 30 points and Wisconsin has 25. It's like, well, luckily on the scoreboard, it just says Wisconsin. And that was good for the Badgers last night. But they didn't have an answer. And, and one of the reasons why it was such a good prospect game is uh, it was a lot of it on Jaden Ivey, who's a top five-ish pick. Yeah. And it didn't sway any opinion I have of Jaden. I still think he's fantastic, but more elevated my position on Johnny Davis. I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, it's funny. The other thing that I would bring up, too, is you thought about it for 30 seconds in terms of, like, what the best prospect game was. Like, before we went and recorded, like, I thought about it for, what, like, five minutes? Like, we, yeah, we actually no, talked racked, about it. We talked about a couple games. And the other game that came to mind for me, like, immediately off the top of my head was Johnny Davis against Houston. <laughs> um that's like when you're Davis for a Grammy Houston. and you get like three songs in the same category. Right. Also like, Jay-Z. Yeah, it's like when Leo had Blood Diamond and The Departed in the same <laughs> sure. year. And like they had to so. figure <laughs> out which one do we campaign <laughs> for, works. right? Um, yeah, no, I mean, Johnny Davis had like 30 against Houston and it was one of the best defensive games I've seen from a guard in college basketball this season. Like, I, he, he, Johnny Davis against Houston stands out. Oshag Baji against Michigan State in that opener stands out. Trevor Keels in the opener against uh, Kentucky stands out as a really, really strong game. Ooh, uh, Paulo's had a couple yeah, of games. I was going to say Paulo versus Chet, despite the cramps. He, he dominated that game. Yeah, that would be like maybe the most impressive half. Like his first half yeah. was just ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think if there's any others that like really, truly – stood out like in a crazy Matherin against uh, Illinois, Illinois is yeah. another one that like really stood out to me. You mentioned Oregon State as well for Matherin. He's really but good. That yeah. quality of competition just isn't quite as strong. But um, yeah, no, like I really think that Johnny Davis would have my two top prospect performances so far this year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's the national player of the year if it was me voting right now. Good. Stamp it. We love him. Okay. Uh Let's do NBA Draft Prospects of the Week. The Game Theory NBA Draft 
Prospects of the week. Matt Penny, you are up first. I'm going to start. I'm going to go with the Kentucky Wildcat. Maybe a different one that you may anticipate here. I'm going to go with Kellen Grady, former Davis oh, you, Wildcat. You fucking Kentucky. Massachusetts homer. Oh, <laughs> look stand at by. this move. Stand by. Stand by. <laughs> 2,000 points prior to transferring. Averaged over 17 points per game at Davidson for four straight seasons. Took advantage of the, the free year, the, the fifth year that was – Allowed to student-athletes because last year was so crazy. He's only averaging 11.8 points per game, but he's my prospect of the week because he's shooting 50% from three. He's 38 for 76. He finally had his breakout game against high point. He had 23 points on 8 for 12 from the field, 7 for 10 from three. Last week, he was first in the country in points per possession. That type of floor spacing opens up everything else for Kentucky for Sevilla Wheeler to get the paint touches, for Ty Ty Washington to get in his mid-range where, where he's at his best, and it, for Kellen to, to hit threes and to get looks and to get feeds, I get that he's a year older. He, he's a fifth year. He prepped at Northfield Mount Hermon where uh, full he, disclosure. Well, he, he's like two years older, is he not? Sure. He's, he, I think he, he's like 24. He played at Northfield where, where I coached after I was there. But this week we've seen all these call-ups, right? We've seen these NBA call-ups, these outside yeah. top 100 guys, these undrafted free agents, where they come from. So I just hope the team still do their homework. They still value shooting. They still value floor spacing, which he provides. I'm not by any means saying he's a, a top 30 pick, but I am saying that you always need shooting in the NBA. And for a guy that's hitting 50% from the field, for a team heading into SEC play, he is my game theory prospect of the week. Honestly, I like it. Like, it's... Uh, he might end up as a top 100 guy for me, and I'm glad we're recognizing him because yeah. he his shooting has actually been really big in that offense kind of turning things around after kind of a shitty start to the year. Yeah. Okay. My prospect of the week is the opposite of Matt Penny's <laughs> prospect of the week. <laughs> you like shooting? Hold on. We have the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you like shooting. Let's go with the guy who is shooting 18% from three. Okay. Uh, I am going Darion Sebron out of NC State. Uh, he had 32 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds this weekend in a loss to Florida State. Uh, he is averaging 19.6 points, 10 rebounds, 3.3 assists per game. He's essentially NC State's like lead, do-everything guard. He's six foot seven. He is just... One of, I think he's probably the best player in transition this year in college basketball outside of Jaden Ivey. Mm. Like, just his ability to attack. I mean, he gets rebounds and he's fucking zooming. Like, it's gone. Like, he is attacking and it's really hard. Like, at first I was like, is Florida State just like not stopping the ball in transition? <laughs> and then you watch him and he's like actually maneuvering around them and he's like crossing and. He's just so downhill. He gets downhill so fast by the time he's at half court that, like, it's just really hard to slow him down. And he finishes at the rim. Like, I think that there's a number out there that, like, he has finished, like, 65 attempts at the rim this year. Uh, And the next closest guy in college basketball um, as a perimeter player has finished, like, 45 or something like that. Like, it's crazy how impactful and how much pressure he is capable of putting on the rim. He's an unselfish passer who makes high-level reads pretty regularly mm-hmm. out of ball screens. I'm not saying he's like an elite-level passer, but he's pretty good. Uh, a lot of his assists come on like same-side kickouts, but you'll occasionally make like a pretty impressive cross-corner kickout. Defensively, he needs to get better. Like that whole NC State situation is a mess defensively. 
they're just kind of pressing and playing up tempo. I think in part to take advantage of his incredible offensive abilities. Uh, they're not quite as good offensively in the half court. The big key here is the jumper. I think that like he can get to a point defensively where he's fine. The jumper is like the sink or swim thing for him at the end of the day. I mean, has a small hitch at the top. Does not look like he has comfortable footwork uh, off the no. catch even. Like, I think it's manageable. Like, I, I think that it's multiple years away, but there's a world where it could improve. I have him as a top 50 guy right now. I can't quite get to the point where I have him as a first rounder. If he was more impactful defensively, I think I'd be a bit more willing to bet on the jumper. But for now, without that, I think it's a bit tougher to bet on the jumper if he's also kind of a non-defender at the moment as well. Somebody tweeted that he rolls out of bed and he's already getting downhill. I, I, I laughed. I said that's, that's, that's a that's phenomenal kind of, tweet. Yeah, not mine. Uh, I, I like him. He was also. I watch a lot of Nebraska basketball as people are picking up here. He was awesome in the um, seventy-five overtime game. He had like thirty-nine points, and they couldn't stop yeah. him. He he just got to the lane as he wanted. I, I really like him. The it, it, we're not talking about a twenty-nine percent shooter that we need to get to thirty-four. We're talking about a fifteen or eighteen percent shooter that needs to get up. Also, a little bit older. He's a redshirt sophomore. He'll be. I was looking up on my phone here. He'll be 22 in May. So I don't say his draft yeah. clock is is ticking, but we kind of got to get going here. But he's a he's a great watch. I love watching him play, and uh, he he holds them together. He he punishes the paint. He punishes the rim. He keeps the pressure on opposing defenses. I, I really like him as a player. Yeah, I really wish that he was a higher level defender. They're like I really truly trusted. Like, if I really trusted him as a defender, I would buy in pretty strong just because I think that you can improve shooting to the level that he needs to improve shooting. I know that he's starting as low as he is. I still think I would take him, you know, at 49, something like that, just as a flyer in case the jump shot comes. Because if the jumper does come, he's going to be an impactful player. I just think there are enough holes to where i'm a bit more skeptical at this point having said that uh he has been phenomenal this year for nc state this is a team that would be unwatchable without him uh they would be completely and utterly frustrating and miserable to view uh he has made them really really fun actually Mm -hmm. and just watching him out in transition has been a joy this year he is um you know, anytime you average twenty and ten in the S- in the ACC, you're going to have a real shot. You're going to get real looks. I, I just think that there are enough holes that um, while he is as fun as he is, I can't quite get to the point where I have him like as a first rounder. Um, you know, e- even like really in the mix for a first rounder right now, I think it's tough. No, but the, you know what? This is why this podcast works. I took a fifty percent shooter. You took a fifteen percent shooter. We meet in the middle. That's why the this game three prospect of the week. You never know who's going to pop up. Penny, give, give me the shows that you've watched on TV. Uh, so I, I went heavy during my um, my house arrest there. Uh, not a not a ton. <laughs> I, I watched the uh, the 2021 wrap up on Netflix, which always reminds you like how miserable the year was and some like events you forgot. It was weird because yeah, like Hugh, like Hugh Grant played like they had actors and actresses play like not themselves. He was like this old English professor, which I didn't get. So I watched that. We caught up on Below Deck. 
Um, watch some Love on the Spectrum. Watch some Yellowstone. No, I don't think we did any movies this week, though. Yeah. Um, my wife and I watched The Silent Sea, which is like the Korean uh, oh, I saw show that. on the I moon. Not, no, I didn't see the... I saw the preview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Interesting. Like, good in parts. I don't think they nailed the ending um, for the first season. Like, I, I have some concerns. But, like, the two main characters, like Duna Bay, who's been in a lot of the Wachowski movies, uh, she's, like, the main character, and she's excellent. Um, Gong Yu is the other lead. He was the lead in Train to Busan, for people that have seen that. Uh, he's excellent as well. I've I, I enjoyed the first seven hours I spent with it until the last. <laughs> oh shit! I, I didn't realize it was a show. I thought it was a movie because both were. Yeah, two, no. two two of the actors actors are from Squid Game, right? Yeah, I, I think he's one of them. Yeah, actually, I, I think he is in Squid Game. Like briefly, I still haven't seen Squid Game. I need to watch it. Wow. Um, okay. and then. Uh, yeah, another one apparently. My wife was like pointing out, like, "Oh yeah, this person's in Squid Game." So yeah, you know, that's what I saw in the trailer because we looked at we looked at like the top ten scroll of like what's new. Yeah, not not you, you could watch it and like not be offended. I would say <laughs> okay. Um, watch the Lost Daughter on yes, how's Netflix. That? I almost watched that two nights ago. Really good. Really strange. Um, interesting little movie. Olivia Coleman's amazing. Like mm-hmm. any, honestly, like it's one of those movies where like any other actress you put in that role, I don't think it works because like the amount of like empathy you have to have for this character for it to work mm-hmm. is um very high. Like if you put Nicole Kidman in that movie, that movie is bad. Right, like, it's actually like an actively bad movie. I think. Um. Because Olivia Coleman is as effective as she is, it, it really works. Uh, yeah, interesting, strange movie. I would watch it. I liked it a lot. Okay. I, I liked it enough, I would say. It'll be like on my top like 25 list this year. Um, I'm trying to think. What what else? Oh, I watched Come On, Come On, the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Yep. How's that? I did that back-to-back with Lost Daughter for like a parenting back-to-back thing as someone who's not a parent. Um <laughs> The Lost Daughter made me never want to have kids. And oh, then Come God. On, Come On was like, oh, yeah, like I still don't want to have kids, but kids are nice, right? Oh, they are, <laughs> they are nice. I was uh, I was reprimanding my son last night for hitting. And as I'm reprimanding him, I'm watching his little hand go to the couch and like try to sneak some chips that are on there. I'm like, dude, will you stop? Can, we, can, we, can I yell at you for like 10 <laughs> seconds without you trying to like steal chips and I'm yelling at you about hitting? It's, it's great, man. It's an adventure. I, uh, do we need to do like a Simmons podcast level parent corner with you every week? <laughs> like, I don't is that, think so. I don't think so. Like, no. I'll, I'll do parent corner for my pets. My pet, my uh, cat, Jerry, last yeah, night. That, that's that's the next segment. Pets and, yeah. pets and kids. Yeah. Ran outside and sprinted underneath our neighbor's house for like four hours. So was just, get him like, out? out there. He <laughs> yep. just like sprints out. Like he can open the door. And it's not it's like ridiculous. A dog. Like you, you can chase a cat, but that that's a tough uh that's a tough animal to oh, catch. Cats are so much worse than dogs to chase. Then oh, again, yeah. like my dog's like unable to jump like you know, even a foot in the air because mm-hmm. it's a chihuahua. But like uh, yeah, that, that cat is that cat's something else. Um 
Yeah, we might have to might have to make parent corner and dog. We corner, can do that. Uh, we can do that. When, when it gets a, when it gets a little slow, like during finals yeah. week or something, uh, that'll be a good segment. That's the move. Yeah, that's the move. Um, okay, Penny, we've gone for an hour forty five today. Uh, tell the people where they can find your work. I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Find me there. I'll be. Uh, I say it's every week, but I'll, I will be out on the road soon. Hoopal Classic is next week in Springfield. Uh, a couple of the college games after that. Just finalize my travel, but find me on Twitter. That's where I am, Matt underscore Penny beautiful uh i have a lot of writing coming this week i published rookie scale or rookie rankings this week um that came out on tuesday i will have a mock draft later this week that i'm working to finalize today Mm -hmm. i also have a betting uh mid-season awards guide as well that'll come out later this week at some point so keep it locked at the athletic go subscribe to the athletic uh at theathletic.com slash game theory that is one of the best ways you can support the show the other best way to support the show is by subscribing to the youtube page where you can watch me and watch penny uh he has a little ring light now you can see his face uh out of the shadows (laughs) it is glorious um go rate review subscribe to the podcast on all of your uh podcast listening platforms But until next time, we will talk soon.